Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 38 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Today's show, we're breaking down week three. I keep dropping the ball! Oh, I keep dropping the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep it trickling the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Welcome, everyone. I hope week three's fantasy results were favorable to you. And I myself had a very strong week, if you care at all. Probably not. But I say that because you may have many of the same players as I do on my teams if you were using my draft board. But a few great storylines from week three. Russ Wilson, Josh Allen, the Falcons blowing yet another multi-score lead in the fourth. And the Eagles do remain terrible. We'll get to all that. I'm recapping each game from a fantasy angle today, providing necessary context behind the stats and to provide knowledge and to help you going forward for your fantasy teams as you're managing them. And we'll start with last night's showdown in the Superdome. The 3-0 Green Bay Packers took down the New Orleans Saints, who are now 1-2 with a score of 37 30 in a fun game for fantasy. I know a lot of my listeners are Saints fans. It wasn't fun from that perspective, but keep in mind this is a fantasy football podcast, and the game was quite entertaining and awesome, really, from that perspective. The Green Bay Packers, no Devontae Adams in this game, no Michael Thomas either for the Saints, but we'll talk about the Packers first. Aaron Rodgers, he kind of carried this offense with a quiet night from Aaron Jones, and Rodgers was forced to spread the ball around without Devontae Adams. He hit some tight ends for chunk yardage on play action passes. The Saints were kind of swarming to defend the running game. And his favorite target was Alan Lazard. Eight targets, six catches, 146 yards, and a score. And Lazard did most of the heavy lifting here. Lazard is the Lazard King. You don't even know my real name. I'm the Lizard King. Almost forgot to use that soundbite there. And it is pretty rare that I get to use it because Lazard usually doesn't post games like this. But he earned it today, and he was running free on a 72-yard pass that Aaron Rodgers kind of hit him on in stride. Aaron Rodgers still is one of the best deep balls in the game, and Rodgers now has 887 passing yards, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions through three games. So he's off to a scorching start in the second year of Matt LaFleur's system. He understands the system a lot better. I personally think he was a little motivated by the Packers not drafting a wide receiver in round one or two, and they instead picked Jordan Love, his Aaron Rodgers' future, future successor. And I think Rodgers was motivated by that. And we are seeing a resurgence of sorts. It's He's been playing his best football in like the last four or five years. So good on Aaron Rodgers there. He is definitely a, a top 12 quarterback on a weekly basis for fantasy football, probably with or without Devontae Adams. And Adams was sidelined with a hamstring injury in this game. I expect he'll miss probably one more week. Maybe, maybe he'll try to suit up next week, but I expect he'll miss one more game. Aaron Jones, he kind of saved his night with a goal line conversion. 
He just wasn't used in the passing game much. 16 carries, 69 yards, one only two catches for 17 yards. And I, does this guy ever have a game where he does not score a touchdown? And I, I just don't know. It, it feels like it's been ages since Aaron Jones did not score a touchdown in the game. He now has five touchdowns in three weeks so far. And the Saints' run defense remains tough despite the pass defense struggles. And I did forget, I'm speaking of pass game struggles, they did forget to reel off Aaron Rodgers' stat line. 283 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He also had 12 rushing yards on the day. This was the Aaron Rodgers show last night. He outdueled Drew Brees in this game despite the statistics being pretty similar. Drew Brees, his best game of the season so far, 288 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions against Green Bay. He had a great fantasy day uh, despite me kind of saying that he was not a top 12 quarterback anymore in fantasy football. And I advise not starting him without Michael Thomas in this game. And he really made me look like a fool there. The Saints, they ran a conservative offense in the first half. Brees was only throwing like two passes I think in the first half of 10 or more yards, like I'm tracking that very hard because I'm one of the believers that Drew Brees', Drew Brees' arm strength has greatly declined. And I, I get that the Saints have always been kind of a, a short area passing team. He's always had an, a low average depth of target. At least he has in like the last three years. But it's been even worse, more so, I should say, this season. Uh, Brees just refuses to push the ball further than like 15 yards downfield. I'm, I'm struggling to wonder if he actually can accurately. And they opened it up in the second half because they were forced to. You know, Breeze was accurate in this game, but again, he just does not go downfield. Now, I get that Michael Thomas is not there, but the Saints were down 10 with two minutes left to spare, and Breeze still was only pushing the ball, like nickeling, diming down the field, like for these 12 you know, maybe 10-yard gains and a lot of checkdowns. There was a ton of checkdowns in this game. A lot of his yardage came in checkdowns to Alvin Kamara and yards after the catch, including a 52 all-yak touchdown to Kamara where Kamara did the heavy lifting. I'll talk about him in a second. But it was still just a positive showing overall from Drew Brees. I think he's more of a backup fantasy quarterback, but he was good, not great yesterday I just really need him to be more aggressive before I can say he's back to being a top 12 fantasy starter and not a backup fantasy quarterback. But I will say that the Saints' struggling defense is definitely helping Drew put up numbers because the Saints are definitely having to keep up with opposing offenses because they just really can't make a stop right now. Michael Thomas, he did miss this game with his high ankle sprain. I expect he's going to miss one more game. He's probably going to try to suit up against Detroit next week. I expect him to be out for one more week, just like Devontae Adams. Emmanuel Sanders, I did predict in my preview podcast that Emmanuel Sanders was going to be the leading receiver from a fantasy perspective in this game over Traquan Smith. I thought the pendulum would swing, and it did. Emmanuel Sanders, five targets, four catches, 56 yards, and a score. And he had his best receiving game uh, for the Saints other than Alvin Kamara. And Traquan Smith, six targets, four catches, 42 yards. He really didn't do much. He didn't double down on his five-catch, 86-yard performance against the Raiders in Week 2. Jared Cook, unfortunately, exited with an ankle injury in the fourth quarter. He wasn't doing much before that. Only two catches, 21 yards. And he was limping pretty badly, being taken to the locker room. And again, quiet game before the injury. I expect Jared Cook to miss some time here. Maybe the Saints will put Taysom Hill at tight end because it wasn't really working for Taysom Hill when he was that quarterback yesterday. Uh, I, I would love to see Taysom Hill 
at a full-time tight end. Obviously, they can put him in the slot a lot. He's not going to be doing a lot of blocking. He is very strong. But it'd be cool if he was basically listed as a tight end on ESPN, which he is, and he was basically playing slot receiver role uh, without Michael Thomas here. That that would be nice. I, I think the Saints should kind of experiment with putting Taysom Hill at full-time tight end if Cook is out. I know they'll use Adam Troutman, uh, the rookie tight end there, quite a bit as well. Uh, Alvin Kamara was the story of this game, and he's been the story of the Saints from a fantasy football perspective. Six catches. Excuse me. It was actually six rushes which is, if I would have told you that Alvin Kamara is only going to have six rushes in this game, you probably would have thought it would have been a bad day. But six rushes, 58 yards, so so efficient on the ground. No scores there, but 14 targets for Alvin Kamara. 13 catches, 139 yards, and two touchdowns. Basically, this was an amazing day for a wide receiver. And Alvin Kamara, of course, was playing running back. And Kamara, you know, just without Michael Thomas there, he's just the entire offense for the Saints. And Latavius Murray actually outcarried him 12 to 6 in this game. But Alvin Kamara's 14 targets by far a team high, more than double the next highest count. And Kamara had one of the better plays in the entire season when he turned uh, like a check down at the line of scrimmage into a 52 yard touchdown where he got kind of behind a, a block from Eric McCoy and he shed like five tackles on the play and cut back infield. Uh, to get the, he finally was brought down, but it was in the end zone. Kamara just looks so freaking good this season. I think he's the most valuable player in fantasy football. And I had Kamara ranked number three on my draft guide over Ezekiel Elliott. And I even made the case for Kamara being taken one overall over Christian McCaffrey. But then that holdout caused me to move him down to like five or six. So if you drafted during that span, like I apologize. I mean, I just felt like I had to move him down with the threat of the holdout. But he ended up not holding out, and he ends up being, he's going to be probably, he could be the MVP of fantasy football this season. Kamara has been so sensational. It's night and day from last year when he was playing hurt. And I just think he's just in the perfect scenario with Drew Brees declining arm strength and is just constantly checking down. No Michael Thomas. The Saints, pretty good offensive line. Kamara, obviously so healthy. It's just, and he was gearing up for this to be a contract year as well. So, I mean, he's just in the best shape of his life, his career. It's just a great scenario for AK-41. And I'm happy to have him on, on two of my teams where I was picking it pick four. And I actually had pick four in another draft, and I was going to get Kamara there as well. But then Ezekiel Elliott got, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel Elliott fell to four, and Kamara got taken at three. He got swiped, and I kind of was just a little butthurt about it at the time because I just really wanted Kamara on my teams. But I was like, okay, well, Zeke's going to be great. And yesterday just... You know, just maybe even more upset about that situation. So, yeah, Alvin Kamara just, I can't really speak enough to how great he has been. And the Saints are now 1-2. and two. It is Struggle City in New Orleans. In another exciting game, Seattle Seahawks. They improved to 3-0, and holding on to beat the Dallas Cowboys 38-31. Points were scored, and the shootout was as advertised. Russ Wilson, Mr. Unlimited. His name, his name's Mr. 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 Unlimited. Yeah, you gotta be unlimited. You know, you gotta have a thought process of being unlimited. I like to only play the sound bites when the players earn it with good games, like on these recaps here. And Wilson has earned it all three games. His 14 touchdowns through three games are the most in NFL history. He is the front runner for the league MVP right now. 
In the NFL, 315 passing yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions against Dallas. Some rushing yards tacked on as well. The Seahawks' offensive transformation is probably the storyline of the fantasy football season. And they've gone from a run-based attack that limited Russell Wilson and almost tried to hide him uh, until he bailed him out when they were losing to an air raid offense that just centers around Wilson and just features his skill set so much. And they're just letting him cook as analysts have been wanting for years and years. Russ Wilson could have even had a sixth touchdown in this game. Uh, But DK Metcalf had a DK Metcalf. I did not come up with that one before the program. That was just on the fly there. But he basically let up before scoring his touchdown and got the ball. And he got the ball punched out as he was kind of jogging towards the end zone. He didn't see the defender there, and it ended up being a touchback instead of a touchdown. So Russ Wilson could have had a sixth score in this game. Tyler Lockett was Russell Wilson's leading receiver today. 13 targets, 9 catches, 100 yards, and 3 touchdowns. And Lockett was just so exceptional in this game. It was one of the best receiver games of the season so far. And he worked underneath to pick up first downs, and he also won deep a few times with big plays. His touchdowns were mostly easy due to coverage busts, but he had one where Russ hit him beautifully in stride, like 40 yards down the field, and it's just been a great start for this offense. DK Metcalf, I talked about his total blunder there, but I'll give him the soundbite nonetheless. Because four targets, four catches, 110 yards, and a touchdown. And it was a game-winning touchdown late in the game where he kind of redeemed himself for that fumble loss early on in the game. And he and Russ Wilson are three for three in three weeks on connecting for like a deep ball touchdown in each of the first three weeks of the season. So oddly enough, I mentioned that I had a weird dream that Carlos Hyde scored like Six touchdowns on like 700 rushing yards in yesterday's game. That was before, that was the night before Sunday. I guess I should say Saturday night going into the Sunday game. And I mentioned it on my preview pod saying that if Chris Carson gets hurt, you can just blame me there. And sure enough, oddly, I guess you can blame me because Chris Carson did get hurt in this game. It's not like Carlos Hyde had, you know, 900 yards and six touchdowns like I dreamt he would, but. 14 rushes, 64 scoreless yards for Chris Carson. And he exited in the fourth quarter with a leg injury. And he was able to walk with some assistance. It's projected that he's going to miss some time here, maybe a few weeks. But it's not supposed to be a very, very serious injury to where it's like a season ender. It looks like it could have been at the time. Carson, no stranger to injuries throughout his career. So that's definitely something to monitor. And Carlos Hyde will definitely be a waiver wire ad, especially if you have Chris Carson on your teams. Okay, moving on to the Dallas Cowboys side of this game. Dak Prescott was sensational once again. 472 passing yards. That's his second straight 400-yard day. And three touchdowns, two interceptions, 26 rushing yards. The Cowboys just came to Seattle just ready to throw. And Prescott's 57 passing attempts were a career high. Dallas saw themselves trailing throughout the second half once again and having to keep up with Russell Wilson. Just like last week with Matt Ryan, uh, left tackle Tyron Smith was out, but Dallas just has so many weapons in the passing game, and Dak worked a surprising connection with Cedric Wilson, his number four receiver, to the tune of five catches, 107 yards, and two touchdowns. He hit Cedric Wilson on two long touchdowns. He also had another long touchdown, a great deep ball to Michael Gallup in stride. 
I guess the strategy of allowing opponents to take early leads and for Dak to just shred defenses in the second half when they're kind of in prevent, that has just been so effective for Dak's fantasy success here. He's been awesome so far this season after, I should say, after a slow week one. In week three, Amari Cooper was again the leading receiver for the Cowboys. That's three straight games for him that I would say he was the leading receiver here. Cooper was the focal point of the passing game, but he was mostly used as a chain mover. Kind of like in week one, he was battling some visible pain, but stayed effective at less than 100% health. He's been more of an assister this season. He kind of sets up the Cowboys' touchdowns for others. He doesn't have a touchdown yet, but he has at least six catches, at least nine targets, and at least 81 yards in every single game this season. So he's been pretty great for PPR leagues. Next up is C.D. Lamb, and he had a pretty slow week three. Only six targets, five catches, 65 yards. He didn't look like he was really on his A game there. He was actually fifth in targets, unfortunately, despite the favorable game flow throughout the second half. Michael Gallup. Giddy up. I mentioned in my preview pod that this was the Michael Gallup week. I had a gut feeling about it, and I just thought that you know these deep shots would eventually connect. We did see one connect. It helped that Dak Prescott threw a career-high 57-yard passing attempts. But Gallup definitely benefited from game flow in the second half, and Gallup did catch a deep ball and tried on a critical play. And he also got lucky on one catch, having it pop off a defender's foot into his hands for like a 15-plus yard gainer. It was just nice to welcome Gallup into the 2020 season, and it was even nicer that I called this big week from Gallup in my preview pod if you were listening. On to the running game here, and the running game was a sorry display of affairs there. 14 carries for Ezekiel Elliott, 34 rushing yards, one touchdown, 12 targets, 6 catches for only 24 yards. Yikes. Zeke was just not good in this game. He did not appear to be into it at all. He was just kind of going through the motions. He appeared sluggish. He almost looked like a total plotter in this game. And he was just moving way more slowly than he normally does. And it seemed like a wasted play every time Dallas would try to get the ball to Zeke. And he salvaged his day with like a goal line plunge that he barely converted. But he couldn't do more despite 12 targets for a running back, which is insane. And in Dallas trailed throughout the second half. He dropped two short passes. And, he, and with, despite 12 targets, he only had 24 receiving yards. It was just a very ugly showing for Zeke, despite the fact that his fantasy line wasn't, or his fantasy point total wasn't the worst thing in the world. It was just, ooh, it was, it was a real yikers for Ezekiel Elliott in this game. All right, moving on to the 0-2 Eagles. They played the 0-2 Bengals to a 23-23 tie. So now both teams are 0-2-1. Uh-oh. Carson Wentz, I thought he was going to have a good fantasy day going into the week. And he had a decent fantasy day, but it was not a good real-life day. 225 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Not great, but the rushing saved him there. Six carries, 65 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. So Wentz, he struggled early in the game, and his offensive line did him no favors. The Bengals' defense kept Wentz under pressure all game despite missing Geno Atkins. And Jason Peters' left tackle, to make matters even worse, went down in overtime in this game. And that injury is to be determined. Deshaun Jackson also exited in this game as well. And the pressure just forced Wentz to carry the team and scramble often, which was pretty good. His rushing touchdown was clutch. It actually tied the game with 30 seconds to spare. 
And despite throwing more than 40 times in all three games, this offensive line has been a huge issue for Carson Wentz. Wentz has just not looked good himself either. His first interception, not his fault, it was tipped at the line of scrimmage. But the media has been very critical of Wentz, and Philly fans are probably going to be starting to talk about inserting Jalen Hurts at quarterback soon if they haven't already. You know how they'll turn on you. And Wentz did have like an absolute dime in overtime to Zach Ertz over the top of the defense. But the two 0-2 teams just played to a tie. And overall, it was an over underwhelming showing, even though he did put up decent, or I, I should say actually pretty solid fantasy production. Deshaun Jackson, I mean, the hits just keep coming for the Philadelphia Eagles. Only four targets, two catches, 11 yards was a total dud. I actually started DJX over Will Fuller in two leagues, which I really peeved about. But he exited with a hamstring injury early in the second half. And Jackson has just been a total bust, total flop this season by me. And the Eagles pass offense has just been a total disaster. Jackson has struggled with injuries throughout his career, so this is no big surprise, I should say. But it was surprising that he wasn't utilized more in this game, even when he was healthy. And Jackson just has not caught a deep ball yet. His best game is 64 receiving yards. I think Jackson, honestly, is a borderline cut in 12-team leagues. But if you have an IR spot, that's probably a better spot for Jackson. And I thought this would be a good spot for Jackson because Jalen Rager was out with the thumb injury. Alshon Jeffrey also still out. He could be returning soon. Uh, I do think it's worth it to pick up Alshon Jeffrey on the waiver wire. I'll talk about that tomorrow, given all these Eagles pass catcher injuries. I mean, all the Eagles every year, like for the last three years in a row, the Eagles pass catchers have just gone down one by one. Man, there's just no end to these guys. Just so many injuries, like totally depleted, a barren wasteland in terms of pass catchers. And one constant always remains, and that is Zach Ertz. And he puts up fancy stats because, honestly, I mean, he's pretty good. But the main reason he's putting up all these numbers is because he's getting the usage because he's the only one left standing. And here we are in 2020 when the Eagles should have been flush with new options. They get Deshaun Jackson back, Jalen Rager back, Alshon Jeffrey's going to come back, Dallas Goddard was there, Miles Sanders is a good pass catcher, Boston Scott's a good pass catcher. So, like, you know, it would be reasonable to expect Zach Ertz's numbers to be a little worse this season than they have been. But now Ertz is just thrust back into the number one target role in Philadelphia with all these injuries now that Deshaun Jackson and Rager are both out. And Ertz, he was just being used as a boring short area chain mover until a beautiful throw over the top of the defense by Wentz in the fourth quarter. Or I think it might have been overtime, actually. And Ertz tracked it down and took a hit. But 10 targets for Ertz, which is great. Seven catches, 70 yards, zero touchdowns. So Ertz's best game of the year. But again, it wasn't a breakout performance, I should say. But, but Dallas Goddard, and the point of all this, he exited in the second quarter with an angle injury and... He only had one target, one catch, seven yards. So that leaves Zach Ertz as the primary target once again. So I guess things are looking up for Zach Ertz, even though he hasn't really produced much this season. Miles Sanders, I thought, was a potential blow-up spot, but he just could not take advantage of an exploitable matchup against the Geno Atkins-list Bengals defense because the Eagles' total ineptitude on offense. 18 carries, 95 rushing yards, four catches, 12 receiving yards. He was used as the bell cow. Boston Scott only saw three carries and wasn't targeted. Wentz actually threw two deep passes to Sanders but wasn't able to connect. Sanders, you know, he worked as the workhorse, but the offensive line injuries are just starting to really pile up and make things difficult for this Eagles offense. And there was a whole quarter of overtime in this one, so the Eagles numbers should have been better than they were. All right, moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals side. Joe Burrow, 312 yards, two touchdowns, no 
interceptions, and Burrow was under intense pressure all day. The Eagles defense actually played really well in this game, and he took a hard hit that actually sidelined him for a snap in the first quarter, but he bounced back like he does and finished the day with yards and scores. Burrow, he made a highlight reel play, kind of evading a defender on a scramble and hitting T. Higgins down the sideline, but that play was negated by a penalty. However, Joe Burrow, he worked his connection with T. Higgins, and he's averaging 47 passing attempts per game through three weeks. This is an, this is a Bengals offense that is throwing constantly, and he also has the rushing potential there. Burrow's two touchdowns, both of them went to T. Higgins in the red zone. And I'll talk about him more tomorrow on the waiver wire pod. A.J. Green, six targets, five catches, 36 yards. Yuck. Despite the full overtime game, this is five quarters here, Green couldn't muster a better stat line. Green, he was out-targeted by T. Higgins, who had two touchdowns in this game, and Tyler Boyd by a wide margin. Green accounted for just 13.6% of the team's targets. And Green had mentioned earlier in this week that he was not quite back into game shape and he was still learning the system. Those were his excuses for the poor production week two. But he's looking a little over the hill at 31 years old for two games in a row. It would not be surprising to see Cincy get his his eventual replacement, T. Higgins, more involved at A.J. Green's expense. So things not looking good for A.J. Green here. Tyler Boyd was the number one target today. 13 targets, 10 catches, 125 yards. So a great PPR day from Tyler Boyd, his second in a row. Boyd was finally Burrow's favorite target of the week. And his 13 looks... More than doubled A.J. Green's six targets. And and Green, he's just looking old like I've talked about. But Boyd is really showing the chemistry that Burrow spoke of that they the two of them had during the offseason. And recall that Burrow just loved feeding Justin Jefferson in the slot at LSU. These are one of the reasons I had Tyler Boyd higher than expert consensus. I'm glad to see that he's finally coming around. Another player I had higher than expert consensus is Joe Mixon. And that has not been good. That has not looked good at all. 17 carries, 49 rushing yards, two catches, 16 yards. Mixon just couldn't get much of anything going once again for the third straight week. He wasn't involved in the passing game either. Gio Bernard saw as many targets uh, and had a 42-yard catch in this game. And Mixon is averaging three targets a game while Gio Bernard's averaging five. You know, whenever the Bengals get in the red zone, Mixon just isn't used. The offensive line, they can't block from Mixon. They're too bad. And the defense is seeming to know when Mixon is getting the ball because there's just no room to run. Moreover, Burrow seems like a better quarterback when he's in the spread and in the hurry up, even with Mixon off the field. It looks like it's going to be a long season for Joe Mixon, and that is a dang shame. He's always been a stronger finisher than starter, so hopefully things pick up. But it is not. it is looking bleak for Joe Mixon's fantasy outlook. You can definitely consider me starting to panic here from Joe Mixon. I think I've moved on from the the phase where I'm just concerned after one or two weeks to now, you know, full on panic. And I, I'm definitely actually looking to maybe if people are trying to buy him low, I'm actually looking to move him if the offer presents itself. But I'll talk more about that as we go on this week. All right, moving on to the Atlanta Falcons and Chicago Bears, and the Atlanta Falcons blew yet another huge lead. A multi-score lead in the fourth quarter. Again, for the second straight week, to lose to the Bears 30-26. to The Bears are now 3-0, and Mitch Trubisky was benched in this one following a boneheaded interception. And Nick Foles came in and threw three touchdowns along with a pick. He could have had more pick. There was a couple dropped interceptions in this game. But you would have to think that Nick Foles is going to be the starter 
going forward. I don't think the Bears are going to keep flip-flopping. I mean, they might if, if Foles has another bad game, but I think Foles will start in Week 4. Allen Robinson. I mentioned this was a smash spot for A-Rob going into this game. It was a really, really exploitable matchup against the Falcons, and he did hit. The chalk paid off. 13 targets, 10 catches, 123 yards, and a score. Robinson took advantage of the cupcake matchup, and his day was just highlighted by sensational individual efforts. He turned a 10-yard pass into a 37-yard touchdown. He twisted away from closing defenders. He nearly had a second touchdown, but it was ripped away in the end zone and actually ruled an interception that both he and the defender appeared to catch the ball at the exact same time. It could have been a 20-yard-ish touchdown, but most of his damage was done with Nick Foles and in the Bears in comeback mode. Anthony Miller, you know, Mitch Trubisky was benched, Nick Foles played, and he didn't really do much with Mitch Trubisky. And Anthony Miller, I kind of just put him off the fancy radar after last week's goose egg. But Miller was a key part of this offense in the comeback effort with Nick Foles. And Foles showed his propensity for targeting slot receivers, connecting with Anthony Miller on a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Miller also let another touchdown slip through his hands. That's his second drop touchdown of the season. He had one in week one as well. So if he had not dropped two touchdowns this year, Miller could have four touchdowns through three weeks. But nonetheless, he has two. We'll keep an eye on Anthony Miller. I don't know if he's worth an ad just yet. But it is worth. I, I will be more interested if Nick Foles becomes the starting quarterback for this team officially. David Montgomery, 14 rushes, 45 yards rushing, and three targets, two catches, nine yards. So not much. The stats were not good for David Montgomery on a day where the Bears were in negative game script. And we've seen this before. If the Bears aren't winning, they're not using David Montgomery. However, this day was actually a positive for Montgomery's season outlook despite the horrible statistics. Because Tariq Cohen exited late and that is believed to be a torn ACL. This likely means more passing down opportunities are coming for David Montgomery, especially with Nick Foles potentially at quarterback, where he'll, he'll have a tendency to check down more than Mitch Trubisky, who likes to run. Montgomery has yet to score a rushing touchdown this season. He had one receiving touchdown, but the Bears... They just continually elect to throw fades to Jimmy Graham anytime they're inside the five-yard line. Unfortunately, that has worked so far. Jimmy Graham, three short touchdowns on the season, including two today. All of them have been like within inside the five-yard line, I believe. So Montgomery, that's pretty annoying if you drafted Montgomery that they're not giving him goal line touches, it seems. But I think that overall season-long outlook, this is a great day for David Montgomery because He's going to get more passing down work, a lot more potentially, now that Tariq Cohen is out. And Montgomery has shown the ability to be a good pass catcher in the past. Unlimited opportunities, of course, because they're just obsessed with Tariq Cohen. Ew, David. Okay, moving on to the Atlanta Falcons side. And Julio Jones was out for this, and Matt Ryan really felt it. Uh, 238 yards for Ryan, one touchdown, one interception. It was his worst game of the season by far. And the Falcons just blew Yet another lead again. Atlanta was leading with uh, 26 to 10 with seven minutes remaining. And they had played well enough to force Chicago to bitch. <laughs> Excuse me. The language there. Man, I need to bleep that out. Uh, I, I combined bench and Mitch together to make that curse word there. Uh, they forced Chicago to bench Mitch Trubisky. And this back-to-back soul-crushing loss for Atlanta might cause you know some coaching staff changes, but Ryan, he just failed to complete a pass in the fourth quarter until less than two minutes to go, and he was actually trailing on the final drive and threw a pick on that drive, 
and life was just more difficult without Julio Jones. But Ryan played well enough in the first half before the team started collapsing in the second half. And what's weird about Matt Ryan, you know, the Falcons kind of being known for blowing leads dating back to the Super Bowl and then obviously the last two weeks in a row, these multi-score fourth-quarter leagues. What's, what's so weird about this is that Matt Ryan got the nickname Matty Ice because he's so good under pressure. Like when, when this is the opposite situation, Matt Ryan's usually making the comeback himself, right? He's actually one of the best quarterbacks statistically and historically uh, in the NFL at playing from behind and, and, and making the comeback himself. But when he has the lead, oh, man, it's just so unfortunate for the Falcons. You just really hate to see it. Julio Jones was out for a hamstring injury in this game. So Calvin Ridley, what did he do without Julio? Well, he had a decent game. He couldn't find the end zone, and he was less efficient. But he did have a 100-yard game, his third straight 100-yard game to open the season, 13 targets. So he was heavily peppered in this game without Julio, but only five catches, 110 yards. He was less efficient without Julio taking attention from the defense but also because the Falcons were leading for most of this game. Ridley's day began with a 63-yard catch that nearly culminated in a touchdown thanks to an incredible toe-tapping effort. Ridley's just so good at that skill. Uh, Russell Gage, two catches, 26 yards, zero touchdowns. He exited in the, early in the second quarter with a concussion. So we will keep an eye out for Russell Gage's availability and Julio Jones' availability as well. I expect Julio Jones to play next week. Hayden Hurst. He caught an early touchdown in this game. It was a one-yard touchdown, but he did not catch another pass. Three targets in this game. Very odd considering how difficult it was for Matt Ryan to complete a pass in the fourth quarter. And uh, also odd because Julio just wasn't playing in this game. But Hayden Hurst, he still is an every week tight end one. So a top 12 tight end. The Steelers improved to 3-0 by defeating the Texans 28-21. Houston is now 0-3. Big Ben Roethlisberger, 237 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero scores. Kind of a game manager type day. He did attempt two early deep shots to Deontay Johnson, but he scaled back his aggressiveness once Johnson exited with a hard hit in the first half with a concussion. His second touchdown, or his first touchdown was to Eric Ebron, who he utilized a lot after Deontay Johnson was out. His second touchdown was a bunny score to Juju Smith-Schuster, who kind of ran free for a 26-yard score. He was uncovered down the sideline in a busted coverage. And the Steelers were able to really run the ball successfully in this game with a variety of running backs. And that kind of limited Big Ben's attempts. A good but not great game from Big Ben here. Could have been better if the Texans uh, weren't so bad against the run here. Juju Smith-Schuster, five targets, four catches, 43 yards, and a score. Again, his touchdown was a result of busted coverage. And the Texans' run defense just allowed the Steelers to rack up 32 rushing attempts. So Juju Smith-Schuster just wasn't used much. James Washington had seven targets. Eric Ebron, seven targets, 52 yards, and a score because Deontay Johnson exited in this game early. I think it was mid-second quarter with a concussion. And Johnson saw two targets. He had an end-around reverse for like nine yards. So that's a shame if you did start Deontay Johnson. The uh, exit was unfortunate timing there. And James Conner, 18 carries, 109 yards, one touchdown, four catches, 40 yards receiving against the Texans. And Conner dished out his second straight 100-yard game. He only handled 18 of the 32 backfield carries and 22 of the 37 running back touches. And Benny Snell got seven attempts. And Conner actually brought the ball to the one-yard line in the second quarter. And Benny Snell was put in for whatever reason for those two snaps and almost had a one-yard touchdown. 
Uh, he got the carry on the goal line, but he failed to convert. But Connor closed the game out strongly for the second straight week, and he gained crucial yardage when the Steelers needed to ice the game going forward. Connor is an every week R- borderline RB1 as long as he's healthy, which is what I drafted him for. So good to see this, even though it was a soft matchup. And for Houston's side, Deshaun Watson, pretty good game, actually. Better than I thought it was going to be. Two 64 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I uh, didn't have really any rushing yards, so that's a shame and a rarity for him. But the Texans, they actually took a 21-17 lead in the halftime, surprisingly, but ultimately went three and out on pretty much every second-half possession except for one. And Watson was just kind of, you know, he wasn't trampled in this game like he was last week against the Ravens, but it was a tough matchup against the Steelers. He completed 19 of 27 throws, but he had a lot of pretty sizable gains with Randall Cobb, Brandon Cook, and Will Fuller in this game. So, yeah, pretty solid showing for Deshaun Watson. His schedule opens up after or starting in week four. Will Fuller, five targets, four catches, 54 receiving yards, and a score. So all together, a good day for Will Fuller, which is great to see after last week's goose egg where he only played half snaps because of his because uh, of a hamstring cramp or injury or whatever it was. Fuller uh, played, based on what I saw, a full allotment of snaps, although I haven't looked up the pro football uh, focus. I haven't done my uh, logging there to do the snap counts. Fuller, he, he was involved pretty early. He scored his touchdown in the second quarter on a fade route in the back corner of the end zone, and he had a catch uh, on like the first or second of drive for like 20 yards. He didn't do much in the second half because the Texans just couldn't move the ball in the second time, half, but he looked healthy after not really being healthy last week, and it definitely you know hasn't helped Will Fuller that he has to had to face the Ravens and Steelers defense the last two games. But overall, positive showing. I regretted benching Will Fuller. I started him in some leagues, benching him in other leagues, as I mentioned in my preview pod. And I regretted benching him for Deshaun Jackson in two leagues. Brandon Cooks, not a great follow-up uh, from his good game with the Ravens. I'm guessing his good game against the Ravens where he had 95 yards last week was mainly because of Cook. I mean Fuller's absence. But in this game, only five targets, three catches, 23 yards. Randall Cobb actually had the best game among receivers. And David Johnson. 13 carries, 23 yards, one touchdown. So not much doing on the ground, but he did have a short touchdown to kind of save his fantasy day. Two catches, 23 yards. We knew this was going to be a tough matchup uh, with the Steelers, and it was a road game against Pittsburgh. And Duke Johnson was out, so David Johnson got the vast majority of the running back touches, but there just weren't a lot of them, right? This is only 15 total touches, and this was just another horrible matchup. He has to face the Ravens and Steelers defenses in back-to-back games, so I, I think things are looking up for David Johnson. Will Fuller and David Johnson were able to get out of this game with a decent fantasy day, and that's actually a very good sign for their outlooks going forward. All right, let's move on to the Carolina Panthers, who got their first win of the season. They held on to beat the Los Angeles Chargers 21-16. Teddy Bridgewater, a great game manager in this game, as he has tended to be through, I guess I should say, two weeks of this season. This was his first win. He led the Panthers to a win, which is nice. Only 237 or 235 passing yards, excuse me. One passing touchdown, zero interceptions. He basically just checked down to Mike Davis nine times in this game. He protected the ball and he led the Panthers to a win. Good for Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not a viable uh, starting fantasy quarterback unless you are in Superflex leagues. But even then, he's just not putting up the great numbers despite the supporting cast. He's just always been so conservative, more of a game manager, has never really posted great fantasy numbers. And we're seeing that here. DJ Moore is seeing the trickle-down effect from Teddy Bridgewater being more of a game manager rather than aggressively pushing the ball downfield. Only four targets for DJ Moore, two catches, 65 yards. At least the uh, catches were substantial here, 
but it was just a relative dud for DJ Moore against a stingy secondary. I mentioned going in that this was a tough matchup for DJ Moore. The Chargers would have preferred Robbie Anderson to beat them, and they kind of tilted coverage into DJ Moore's way. And the game script surprisingly did not work in Moore's favor, and it has in the first two games. The Panthers were actually leading by two scores in the second half, hence the bad game for DJ Moore. He's been somewhat of a disappointment this season, and that is looking like an accurate call on my end so far. Robbie Anderson, six targets, six or sorry, five catches, 55 yards, no touchdowns. Anderson actually led the team in targets. Anderson also caught some passes underneath, but the Chargers focused more on DJ Moore, and game flow is just not favorable, again, uh, for passing because Carolina actually led in this game. There will be better days for both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Christian McCaffrey was out for this game with a high ankle sprain. He'll miss at least two more weeks. Mike Davis did exactly what you wanted him to do if you spent the fab money on Mike Davis. 13 carries, 46 yards. Nine targets, eight catches, 45 yards, and he did find the end zone. This is exactly the type of game that I expected from Mike Davis in my preview pod. And he was just kind of peppered with targets in the passing game, uh, playing the Christian McCaffrey role. Curtis Samuel saw a few rushes in this game, had about 40 receiving yards, but it was mainly Mike Davis's show as a running back. On the Chargers side of the ball, Justin Herbert, pretty good, uh, pretty decent fantasy day, I guess. 330 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception, 15 rushing yards. Herbert amassed stats thanks to three quarters of a negative game script. He also he often checked down to Austin Eckler, but he did take the occasional deep shots, many to Keenan Allen. And it's nice that he's featuring the best Chargers players, raising the fantasy floors of Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. He left the game briefly in the fourth quarter with an apparent leg injury, but he walked it off. This was a favorable matchup and game script for Justin Herbert, who should be seen as a matchup-based streamer going forward. But nothing really more. A super flex start, I should say. Keenan Allen, week three, he was excellent. 19 targets in this game. That's incredible. And one of the highest, I think the highest mark in terms of targets that I've seen all season so far. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but it's to my memory at least. 11 catches, 136 yards, one touchdown. Allen, he benefited from Mike Williams exiting uh, in the fourth quarter with a hamstring injury. Williams had like a deep catch negated by penalty, but Allen was the star of the show here. He surprisingly commanded an outstanding 41% of Los Angeles Chargers targets in this game, and Herbert just threw to Allen. He locked on to him regardless of the coverage. This is great, great, great news for one of the best route runners in the game, and great news if you have Allen on your fantasy team. I was lower on Keenan Allen than pretty much everybody because I thought Terod Taylor was going to be starting for a long time this season, and maybe he would have had he not punctured or had not a doctor punctured his lung. But obviously, I couldn't predict that. And Justin Herbert, great news for Keenan Allen's stock. You should be very happy if you drafted Keenan Allen, at least going forward. He has 29 targets in two Justin Herbert starts. Hunter Henry, another basic, stereotypical, common Hunter Henry game. Very typical for Hunter Henry. Seven targets, five catches, 50 yards, no touchdowns. He was the number three option in the passing attack behind uh, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. Austin Eckler was awesome in this game. Uh, awesome Eckler, uh, as the fantasy footballers say there. 12 rushes, 59 yards, one touchdown rushing, 11 catches, 80 yards, no receiving touchdowns. But this was a total vintage Austin Eckler performance. He's looked great in the last two weeks. He's looked really like the second-round pick that you probably drafted him to be. And Justin Herbert has been reviving Eckler's fantasy value. Eckler dropped a lateral in the last play of the game. And that actually could have been a game-winning touchdown as time expired. 
had he secured the Keenan Allen kind of hook and ladder. And Eckler just had a favorable game script in this game and favorable matchup against the Panthers um, with the Chargers. They were trailing the second half, which is good for Austin Eckler. And that kept Joshua Kelly kind of sidelined there. Kelly only had eight rushes, 43 rushing yards, two catches for nine yards. And Kelly was well behind Eckler in total touches here. And part of that was because he fumbled on in the game, early in the game. But he also was watching as the Chargers were losing in this game by multiple scores in the second half. So you know Eckler was going to be used in the passing game. Joshua Kelly, pretty game script dependent as we've seen. Uh, so the team kind of turned away from him with negative game flow there. But Josh Kelly, Austin Eckler will probably continue to work in tandem. And this Justin Herbert guy, he is really making uh, the Chargers stars, you know, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, way more valuable in fantasy, which is great news there. Okay, let's move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they have taken a lead over the over the NFC South at two and one, easily handling the Broncos twenty eight to ten. This was a pretty boring game. It was a very defensive dominant game by the Bucks, as I expected. Uh, but Brady played a really clean game here. It was his best game of the year: two hundred ninety seven passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He hit Mike Evans for a pair of goal line scores early, and the other was a ten yard strike to Chris Godwin. He did miss Rob Gronkowski wide open. Throwing it over his head in the end zone. Gronk had actually had a decent day here. I think he had about 50 receiving yards and six catches, I believe. After that, uh, or I should say after halftime, the Bucks were just kind of protecting a three-score lead. And Brady wasn't really needed much in the second half. But he was dealing in the first half. Mike Evans, four targets, two catches in this game, and two short goal line scores. So those were his only catches of the day were his pair of touchdowns. And the Bucks again, they had a three-score lead in the second half, so they really didn't need Mike Evans after that. Chris Godwin, unfortunately, exited in this game. He's been really uh, struggling with injuries so far this season, and it appears to be a hamstring strain. So that is bad news for Chris Godwin there. Five catches, 64 yards, and a touch for Chris Godwin, so at least he had a good game before exiting. Hopefully he's not missing too much time. Leonard Fournette, seven rushes. 15 yards rushing, two catches, seven yards, total dud. I thought Fournette was going to take over this backfield in this game. But Ronald Jones again ran really as a starter. 13 carries, 53 yards for Ronald Jones, two catches, 20 yards in the receiving game. He was Ronald Jones' best game to date, although none of the Bucks running backs really did anything. Uh, fantasy note, because it was a three-way running back committee, LaShawn McCoy got a few snaps on third downs as well. The Bucks continued to rotate their backs, but Fournette did not have a good game here. Only 2.1 yards per carry. This is a situation to avoid until there's more clarity. I thought we were going to get it uh, after Fournette's good game in week two, but we just didn't get it here. Moving on to the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos were missing Drew Locke. He did not play with a shoulder issue. Obviously, Corton Sutton out for the season with a torn ACL. So that forced Jerry Judy, who was a game-time decision with a ribs injury in this game. He looked healthy enough. Jeff Driscoll started this game. Uh, but Denver moved Jerry Judy around a lot. They used him in both the slot and in the outside. Jerry Judy's quarterback play was obviously problematic with Jeff Driscoll starting. And even Jeff Driscoll got benched in this game. Uh, for their third-string quarterback, and the matchup was just tough against this Bucks defense. But eight targets, five catches, 55 yards, a decent fantasy day, 10 PPR points there for Jerry Judy. Noah Fant, another, I guess I should say, decent day. He didn't find the end zone in this one for the first time all season, but 10 targets, very promising there. Five catches, 46 yards, nine points for your tight end, not the worst thing in the world. But again, Jeff Driscoll started, ended up getting benched in this game, and Fant got most of his production on a wide-open 18-yard catch in the first half. He did have two drops in this game, so it could have been a better game for Noah Fant. But the 10 targets, 
uh, is promising. And again, this was a game where Jeff Driscoll was kind of forced to check down because the Bucks defense was swarming in this game. I think this presents a buy-low opportunity for both Noah Fant and Judge Judy going forward. Okay, moving on to the injury-riddled 49ers. They cruised to a 2-1 start with an easy win over the New York Giants, 36-9. This is despite the Niners missing quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, running back Raheem Mostert, best wide receiver on their team, Devo Samuel, Best player on their team, tight end George Kittle. They were missing their starting center, Wesson Richburg. They were missing defensive starters, uh, two starters, sorry, three starters along the defensive line. Their best defender, Joey Bosa. They were missing defensive tackle, Solomon Thomas. They were missing D4, their other edge rusher there. And they were also missing cornerback Richard Sermon. No team is hurt more than the 49ers. But Nick Mullen started, and he had a great game uh, from a fantasy and real-life perspective. And they just totally throttled or thrashed the New York Giants here. Um, the really only fantasy-relevant thing to talk about is Brandon Ayuk uh, and the running game. Ayuk did some damage in the running game. Three rushes, 31 yards rushing, and one touchdown. And he's a wide receiver, so he also had eight targets, five catches, 70 yards. It's got a mini breakout game for Brandon Ayuk, though a lot of it was likely because of all those injuries I just described. Ayuk was the leader in all receiving categories, and Kyle Shanahan was manufacturing touches to Ayuk early in this game, and it paid off with a long rushing touchdown uh, after the, uh, the Giants really stopped uh, tackling there. Not that they could tackle much to begin with, but Ayuk definitely worth a name to keep in the back of your mind if he's on the waiver wire, but it's just tough to, difficult to say whether this game was just purely based on the fact that the Niners were missing all their other great players in this game. Raheem Mostert was one of those great players, and Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson split the workload as I expected. I mentioned that Jeff Wilson was a real sleeper in this game because everybody thought it was going to be McKinnon's workload, and Wilson was going to get the goal line touches in this game. He had 12 carries, 15 yards, one touchdown. And he also had three targets, three catches, 54 yards, and a receiving touchdown. So Jeff Wilson as a sleeper paid off massively. Um, and he, this was a great game called by Cal Shanahan despite the numerous injuries for the Niners. They were able to run the ball pretty easily against the Giants. Jared McKinnon, 14 rushes, 38 rushing yards, one touchdown. He also had 39 receiving yards on three catches. But McKinnon sustained a rib injury at some point. It's, uh, he, I think he played through it. I think so. But it's unclear whether he didn't see a lot of playing time in the second half because the Giants were just blowing out the 49ers and they wanted Wilson to close this to keep McKinnon fresh or because of the rib injury itself or a combination of both. But we'll monitor that going forward. And unfortunately, we have to talk about the Giants' side of the ball here. Daniel Jones was pathetic once again. 179 yards passing, zero touchdowns, one interception. He also had a fumble loss. He did kind of save those turnovers with 49 rushing yards in this game. He was good on the ground because he was running for his life in this game. A Giants' offensive line, so bad. But but Daniel Jones also just cannot protect the football. And he had an errant toss to Evan Ingram on a reverse. He lost that fumble. And the turnovers are just such a major issue in his young career. Through 16 games, Daniel Jones has 16 interceptions receptions and 20 fumbles and his 49 rushing yards actually led the team and they did cancel out his turnovers but it was just a very ugly performance as you can see from the scoreboard and he didn't have his playmakers in some of this in this blowout loss but he just kept missing Evan Ingram kept missing Darius Slayton just not an attractive day for Daniel Jones I'm glad that I was off him on fantasy he was a popular breakout candidate among the experts Sterling Shepard 
was out for this game. So Darius Slayton, seven catch or sorry, seven targets, three catches, 53 yards. Jones was just kind of uncomfortable in the pocket all day, and the Giants offense just kind of stalled. Um, you know, following the losses, Swan Barkley, Sterling Shepard, and, and Golden Tate also had seven targets, but only 36 receiving yards on three catches. Evan Ingram was the biggest disappointment of the day for the Giants, and that's saying a lot because he only had five targets, three catches, 22 receiving yards. And this disaster game uh, was there despite missing Saquon Barkley, despite missing Sterling Shepard in this game. Ingram botched a high toss on a reverse, and I, I'm not sure who they attribute that fumble to. It was either Daniel Jones or Ingram. Uh, the turnovers have just been a huge problem for Daniel Jones, and it's hurting the stability of the offense. Ingram did not have a favorable matchup, but nothing was working. He's been disappointing to open the season. The Giants running game, not worth wasting my breath over just yet at least. The Giants running game, not worth talking about. Next game, the Detroit Lions upset, upset the Arizona Cardinals 26-23, getting the much-needed road win on a last-second field goal. Surprising great showing from the Lions here. Matt Stafford, 270 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, his best game to date. And, of course, it was with Kenny Galladay back in the lineup. And Stafford found Galladay in the end zone, had his best game of the year. He didn't turn the ball over as well. And he spent the second half kind of working his connection with TJ Hawkinson. And he also had a 54-yard strike to Marvin Hall. But it was called back on a holding penalty. And Stafford's first touchdown went to blocking tight end Jesse James. Kenny Galladay, again, he returned seven targets, six catches, 57 receiving yards, and one touchdown. So a, a pretty good game from Kenny Galladay. He mentioned before the game that he wasn't 100%, but he did look pretty healthy here. And the Lions, he could have had a bigger game, but the Lions called 27 rushes. Galladay played 48 out of 66 snaps. I was interested in that coming off the injury. But his score was a leaping 15-yard grab near the goal line where he survived a hit uh, and then kind of bent into the end zone there. So Galladay, every week, top 12 receiver going forward. Marvin Jones, three catches, only three targets, 51 yards. Jones has been a really... He's been a disappointment, a very slow start to the season there. Kenny Galladay being back will make Jones probably more efficient, but will probably cap his upside there. Jones just doesn't look like he has those those old school like three touchdown games that he used to do randomly. He doesn't look like he still has that in him, but we will see going forward. He's not an advisable fantasy start, but you can save him on your bench. TJ Hawkinson, seven targets, four catches. 53 receiving yards, no touchdowns against the Cardinals. And Stafford found T.J. Hawkinson just one time before halftime. And he actually found fellow tight end Jesse James for a short score, which was which was hurtful. But Stafford finally remembered that T.J. Hawkinson existed after halftime and that he's quite good. And he worked that connection in the second half. And Hawk looks really good this season, but for whatever reason, the Lions just are not featuring him. So that is just a shame. DeAndre Swift, yikes. Zero rushes in this game. Two targets, one catch, 19-yard catch. That's it for the box score, just a 19-yard catch. He played only six snaps in this game. Adrian Peterson gobbled up 22 carries. Carrion Johnson didn't do much either. But when the Lions are leading, they would prefer Adrian Peterson be their lead back despite drafting Swift early in the second round. Smith is looking like a total bust this season. I'm glad I was lower on Swift than consensus experts. For the Arizona Cardinals... In week three, 270 passing yards for Kyler Murray. Two touchdowns, three interceptions, but 
five rushes, 29 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown for the third straight game that he's had one rushing touchdown. He wasn't very good in this game, to be honest, in real life. But the fantasy points were still scored because uh, he accounted for all three of the Cardinals' touchdowns. And again, his rushing touchdown, it was a ridiculously freakish juke where he just embarrassed the defender near the goal line. The defender seemingly had the angle on him, but Murray said, nah, I'm going to run right by you and fake you out, which he did. And again, this is his third straight rushing touchdown in a game. And Murray just relentlessly worked his connection with DeAndre Hopkins. And he also found Andy Isabella for two touchdowns in this game. So Andy Isabella, I mentioned that he was my top, one of, probably one of my top sleepers in week three in my preview pod uh, leading up to that game, I said, if you're desperate, you got to play uh, Andy Isabella. He's taking the Christian Kirk role. Kirk was out for this game. And Andy Isabella, you know, he hit there. Only 26 snaps, but four catches, 47 yards, and two scores in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of plays into Kirk's role a little bit. Not that Kirk was really doing much. It really doesn't matter for fantasy. But DeAndre Hopkins, a beast once again. 12 targets, 10 catches, 137 yards. Hopkins is already up to 32 grabs in three weeks, and he could finish legitimately as the wide receiver number one overall. I'm so ashamed and embarrassed that I advise avoiding DeAndre Hopkins in drafts. And even with the lack of big plays today, or yesterday, Hopkins is just getting peppered early and often. Christian Kirk was out for this game. Larry Fitz just on his last legs. Cliff Kingsbury had zero issues uh, scheming up DeAndre Hopkins in, in this Kyler Murray connection there. So yeah, Tanner Hopkins, I mean, all I can say is just another great game for D-Hop. Unfortunately, it was not a great game for Kenyon Drake, who I thought was going to have a huge game in this game, or at least potentially. 18 rushes, 73 rushing yards, only one catch for six yards. This was supposed to be a smash spot against the Lions defense that gotten gashed by Aaron Jones the week prior, but Detroit did show up today. Credit to their defense, but Drake was just serviceable. He's not great. He's been lacking big plays and touchdowns, and he just has five catches on the season thus far, and that's despite Chase Edmonds not really playing meaningfully cutting into Drake's work either. So I still think Drake is a buy-low candidate because he's getting the volume, but yeah, pretty concerning day here. Starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. <laughs> and before we move on to the next game, reminder if you like what you are hearing today, please subscribe to this podcast and take a moment of your time to write a favorable review or give the pod a favorable rating. That stuff really goes a long way, and I don't get paid for any of this, so your support really means a lot. Uh, next game Colts and Jets. The Colts steamrolled the worthless Jets, as we would all expect, 36-7. to The Colts are now 2-1, and one, and the Jets are now in a great position to get the number one overall pick. And would they draft Trevor Lawrence with Sam Darnold there? I think that's a really interesting question that people will start to talk about as the Jets keep up racking up losses. But first, we'll talk about the Colts because they won. Phillip Rivers, 217 yards passing, one touchdown. He, again, just did not need to do much at all with the Colts just kind of controlling this game by stifling the worthless Jets defensively and racking up a bunch of rushing attempts. His touchdown was a short score to Naeem Hines, and Rivers was pulled in the fourth quarter for Jacoby Brissett in the easy win. Uh, Same kind of stuff with T.Y. Hilton here. The good news is he didn't drop any passes. The bad news is that the passing game just simply wasn't needed against the hapless Jets. The Colts rode the running game and the defense to the easy win. Uh, His receiving yards did lead the team, but Rivers hit, I think, 9 or 10 different receivers in this game on only 25 attempts. Uh, Paris Campbell uh, out indefinitely with a torn ACL. Uh, Michael Pittman just had a few catches, uh, but didn't really do much again because of the game flow. Jonathan Taylor, this was a smash spot for him, but only 13 rushes, 20, or sorry, 59 
rushing yards, one touchdown, one catch for three yards. Again, this was a smash spot, but that's, you know, you needed the Jets to be somewhat competitive in this game, and they just weren't. I mean, Indianapolis just took the lead in early and just never looked back. Taylor saw a lightened workload because it was such an easy win. He ended only 13 of 29 of the backfield carries and 14 of 35 of the backfield touches. He was used more in tandem with Naeem Hines early, unlike last week. But he was rested in the fourth quarter with Jordan Wilkins getting mop-up duty in the second straight week because it was a blowout win for the second straight week. And Naeem Hines... I mentioned that you should hold on to him but not start him. Kind of wish we would have started him here, but I'm glad you may have held on if you listened to my advice. Seven rushes, 21 rushing yards, but four catches, 50 yards receiving, and one touchdown. Hines was involved early more between the 20s and inside the red zone. It was more of a running back by committee with Jonathan Taylor. Taylor out-touched Hines 14-11 to and scored from one yard out, but Hines also had a touch inside the five uh, that he just failed to punch in, and both were benched in the second half for Jordan Wilkins, who again just came in and, and beat up on the Jets' backups there in the late blowout. Moving on to the Tennessee Titans, they got their third straight close victory, narrowly defeating the 0-3 Vikings 31-30. Ryan Tannehill, 300-yard passing day, 321 yards exactly, but no touchdowns and not a lot of rushing yards either, only nine. He had an interception as well. So not a great, great fantasy day from Ryan Tannehill. The Titans settled for six Steven Goskowski field goals, and they had a pair of short rushing touchdowns for Derrick Henry. So this is kind of the perfect storm against Ryan Tannehill in a very soft matchup against a terrible Vikings defense. Tannehill had some deep connections to Khalif Raymond, who had 118 receiving yards in this game on three catches, but otherwise he just kind of worked the short area, passing him to Johnny Smith, Adam Humphreys, and Corey Davis. Although Corey Davis, he did get free along the sideline for a sizable game, but that was pretty much it for Davis. Six targets, five catches, 69 yards for Corey Davis. Again, this is without A.J. Brown, who missed his second straight week with the bone bruise in his knee. I would expect A.J. Brown to probably miss maybe one more week, and if you're an A.J. Brown uh, roster manager, then you probably want him to miss the next week because it is up against the Steelers, so why not take that week to get fully healthy when it could be a bad week anyway? Uh, Adam Humphreys caught some passes. Johnny Smith caught... Five passes out of eight targets, 61 yards. Another pretty solid game for Smith. His worst PPR day is 11 points here. A.J. Brown was out, and Smith has been a beneficiary there. But yeah, another solid game for Jonathan Smith. But the real story of the Titans was Derrick Henry, 26 rushing yards, or sorry, 20, not 26 rushing yards, 26 rushing carries, 119 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, and he had two catches for 11 yards. Not really used much in the receiving game there, but his two touchdowns were his first and second of the season, so that was really nice to see in a potential smash spot, and it was a smash spot against the Vikings defense, and both came in short yardage situations in the attractive matchup, and Henry was just used like he normally was in this one, so great game from Derrick Henry. We also saw a great game from Dalvin Cook on the other side here, 22 carries, 181 yards rushing, a career high for Dalvin, and one touchdown, and he also had two catches for 18 yards. His rushing total, obviously a career high, just said that, but it was his rushing touchdown came on a perfectly blocked 39-yard scamper through the right side, and despite the Vikings being 0-3, Cook is just balling out with at least a touchdown in all three games. He did come up limp late in the game and seeded some late work to Alexander Madison, uh, but the Vikings offense was much better today. Just keep an eye out for the injury report for Dalvin Cook. Hopefully it's not too serious. We haven't heard much of anything from that uh, injury yet. But Dalvin Cook, amazing game from him. And the passing game was also a little better, uh, not than Dalvin Cook, but a little better than normal. Actually, I should say it was a lot better than the first two weeks. Uh, But 251 yards passing for Kirk Cousins, 
Three touchdowns in this game. You like that? You like that? Uh, we do like that. I'll go ahead and give him the sound bite there because it just hasn't been looking good for Kirk Cousins. I don't know how much he's going to really earn that. But two interceptions. It was his best game to date. But the two turnovers did prove costly. Uh, his first score was a bullet to Adam Thielen. I think it was like a 10 from 10 yards out. And his second score was a 71-yard deep shot to Justin Jefferson. And his third touchdown was a one-handed toe-tapper to Kyle Rudolph in one of the best plays of the day. He managed to snag it in the back of the end zone, uh, kind of fading out of bounds here, and managed to tap that second foot in. It was a really, really athletic play about Kyle Rudolph, and the one we've seen before from him. Cousins has only attempted 25, 26, and 27 passes through three, two, three weeks in this run-first offense. Adam Thielen, five targets. Three catches, 29 yards, but luckily he had a touchdown to save his day. It was a perfect strike to Thielen in the back of the end zone. It was actually a 16-yard touchdown. Uh, my bad there. But it was Justin Jefferson who did most of the receiving damage. And and for, for Adam Thielen, his touchdown kind of saved an otherwise quiet game that Dalvin Cook dominated in. But Justin Jefferson also dominated out of nowhere. Nine targets, seven catches, 175 yards, and a score. He'll be the number one waiver wire add on most teams if they've dropped him uh, to date. And a couple of my leagues, uh, teams started Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, which I was really impressed about. I gave him props for that. But uh, this was a shocking performance. Jefferson had 100 yards at halftime, and he roasted the Tennessee secondary with a 71-yard touchdown in the third quarter where he broke a tackle and kind of was free for the end zone. And I just realized that I forgot to talk about the Jets. I feel like I always miss one team. Uh, when I'm doing my recaps, it was the Jets. But if that's if that's the team I'm going to miss, then I'm definitely okay with that. Sam Darnold, only 168 passing yards in this game. Uh, one touchdown, three interceptions uh, against the Colts. And the Jets are just totally unwatchable right now. Darnold was piss poor once again. Uh, but he was under duress all game, like from the opening kickoff. He threw a pick six on the first possession of the game. He threw another pick six later in the third quarter. It was just a really ugly showing. And, the, and it's just all replacement-level players there. The Jets, they're missing running back Le'Veon Bell. They're missing their three starting wide receivers, Jameson Crowder, Rashad Perryman, and Denzel Mims, all out for this game. And they, he was also missing two starters on the offensive line. Adam Gase should be fired very soon. And that is all I'll say about the New York football Jets. All right, moving on to the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen, 311 passing yards. Josh Allen had never had a 300-yard passing game going into this season, and he's opened the year with three straight, four passing touchdowns, one touchdown on the ground. He did have a fumble loss in this game and an interception, but Allen continues to establish himself as an, a legitimate MVP candidate along with Russ Wilson with yet another Epic performance. Allen came out hot. He got a 28-3 lead at halftime. And in pure Falcons fashion, they blew that 28-3 lead. But not in fa Falcons fashion. The fa uh, Josh Allen rallied with a game-winning drive, which was aided by a ticky-tack defensive pass interference call that placed the Bills near the goal line. He found Tyler Croft, the tight end, for a second short touchdown. Uh, Croft, that is, on play action. Allen just could not be stopped in the first two quarters of this game. He took some boneheaded sacks, and he had some turnovers in the second half. But this was, again, his third straight 300-yard game after not having any for his entire career uh, leading up to 2020. And Allen had his touchdown totals by game so far is 4, 4, and 5. Excuse me, actually, I think it's 3, 4, and 5. So I guess that means next week he'll have 6, right? 
No, I'm just messing. But anyway, Josh Allen, he's been a, a league winner so far this season. Stephon Diggs has also been very, very good. Great value in drafts. I wish I was on him in fantasy, um, but I was not, unfortunately. Six targets, four catches, 49 yards in this game, and a touchdown. And Diggs, he had his hands full with Jalen Ramsey in coverage, but he scored his touchdown with Ramsey in his coverage, and it was a short score, and Diggs got open with good route running. Diggs, he actually caught two touchdowns in the same drive, another drive of this game, both from short yardage. One was like a screen call or a screen pass that kind of hit the ground as he caught it and was ruled incomplete where he plunged in from two yards out. And another short touchdown was called back by penalty the next play. So he could have had another touchdown to this box score. And John Brown, his exit around halftime did kind of help uh, probably Stephon Diggs in this game. John Brown, he exited with a calf injury. And prior to exiting, he only had two targets and zero catches. So a goose egg for John Brown, similar to Deontay Johnson, where you have the two targets and the goose egg because of an exit in the uh, you know second or third quarter. And for this case, John Brown, he had the donut here despite a full half of play. And despite the Bills rolling, but but Brown's absence was felt in the second half, right? Like that's when the Bills' offense started struggling until the final drive of the game, and Brown did miss the entire second half. So he's probably more important in real life than he is in fantasy. Uh, Devin Singletary, 13 rushes, 71 yards, 50 receiving yards on four catches. Zach Moss was out for this game. I mentioned that Singletary was a great running back to play, and he looked sharp here. 121 scrimmage yards total. It was a season high. He did seed three carries to TJ Yeldon, one of which was a goal line carry. And Josh Allen did score from one yard out on the goal line carry as well. So Singletary still not getting the goal line work, but he was used in every down back, except for short yardage, of course. Uh, but he had a 34-yard gain on a screen. That was his biggest play. Singletary will be good as long as Zach Moss is out. And Zach Moss, I think he's going to miss this week as well. All right, for the Rams side of things, Jared Goff, 321 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, one interception, and one short rushing touchdown. It was a quarterback sneak, a rarity for Jared Goff, which was nice. Uh, but both Jared Goff's passing was came on play fakes, and he was really hitting the play action hard in this game. The Bills were really kind of selling out to uh, on these play action fakes, and Goff really didn't do much as a conventional passer in this game, but every time he did play action, he was hitting Cooper Cup. He was hitting Robert Woods in this game. Both of them had pretty good games, and the Rams were trailing 28-3 at halftime. So this was... And this, this was mainly great game flow for Jared Goff. And Goff was on fire from a fantasy perspective in the second half of this game. He ended up with his second good fantasy game in a row. Robert Woods, six targets, five catches, 74 receiving yards, and one touchdown. But again, a nice rushing floor here. Third, uh, sorry, three carries, 30 rushing yards. So Cooper, Cooper Cup actually had the bigger day receiving, but... Robert Woods came through as well. And Goff is just kind of spreading it around as a passer, and the Rams are committed more to the run than I expected at least. But this was another good game considering that Robert Woods was matched up with Tredavious White, a shutdown corner for a large portion of this game. Game script obviously helped as the Rams were trailing by multiple scores in the second half, and Robert Woods' touchdown was in the second half. Cooper Cup also aided by positive game flow here. 10 targets, 9 catches, 107 yards, and 1 touchdown cooked not Cook. Cup took advantage of Robert Woods kind of dealing with Tra- Davis White for most of the game. And Cup really seemed to be open all day, especially on play fakes, especially in the second half when the Rams just started kicking in the gear and throwing and making this comeback. 
And Cup has really improved his numbers in every game so far this season. Tyler Higby, not a great day. Only two targets, two catches, 40 yards. So he's had two 40-yard performances this season, sandwiched between a three-touchdown performance. So pretty interesting start for Tyler Higby. He's a boomer bust play. And Higby's first catch did not come until midway into the third quarter. And he briefly did leave the game in the second half, but he never was announced with an injury. But this was a disappointing game for Higby considering the game flow in the second half of this game. And, and golf has just been spreading it around in the passing game. And they've been running well. Like Daryl Henderson, another really good game here, second in a row. And Henderson has looked to be taking over the starting running back duties. 20 carries for Daryl Henderson. I get that Cam Akers was out, but 20 carries for Daryl Henderson, 114 rushing yards, one touchdown. He repeatedly ripped off chunk gains of like seven to eight yards throughout the game. He didn't do it all in like one long run. He looked fast. He looked effective. Side to hot side shiftiness was apparent, and he's been dangerous for the last two games. I would want Daryl Henderson on my teams right now, and it may be tough for Cam Akers to actually get his job back with the way Henderson is playing. I mean, that's a big takeaway if you have Cam Akers on your team is you cannot be liking this, seeing that Darren Henderson is going to go dominate. It seems like to me that this backfield for the Rams is going to eventually be a timeshare between Cam Akers on early downs and Daryl Henderson on most receiving downs and them kind of splitting the work maybe 50-50. But Cam Akers is going to have to earn that. That's just how I see that going forward, like down the stretch. Uh, right now, Henderson is should be started in fantasy leagues because he's looking like the best, one of the best running backs in the league, honestly, uh, from a health standpoint and just the way he's running. So it's really good to see him, you know, having a, a, a sophomore splurge after a rough rookie year where Henderson was mainly just invisible or irrelevant. All right, moving on to the New England Patriots. They predictably trounced the Raiders 36-20 in Cam Newton. Well, I'll just say this was a very tough spot for the Raiders. Again, I mentioned this in my preview pod that I wasn't expecting much at all from the Raiders, and it ended up being right here. The Raiders were coming off an emotional victory against the Saints, the opening of their new stadium. They treated it like their Super Bowl, and they were traveling on a short week you know, across the country uh, to New England and to Bill Belichick. And they did not have Henry Ruggs in this game. They did not have two offensive uh, starting offensive linemen in this game and also their two best players Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller uh, were both kind of questionable going into this game they were both kind of nicked up with injuries so I'll talk about the Patriots first because it has to do with Cam Newton here and Cam Newton was just able to just kind of game manage this game 162 passing yards one touchdown one interception only 27 scoreless rushing yards Cam Newton just watched as Rex Burshead surprisingly scored twice inside the five-yard line. It was the Pats' first rushing touchdown of the season that wasn't Cam Newton. And the Patriots were leading throughout the second half, so they just kind of rode their running game. I think three different running backs had at least 10 carries in this game. Sonny Michelle had 100 rushing yards in this game, which was crazy enough. Burkhead had three total rushing touchdowns. He was started in some fantasy leagues like that I play in. And I just would probably would not have done that myself unless I was desperate. Maybe they were desperate, but props to them for doing that. I think I saw like three or four fantasy leagues that I play in where Burkhead was started in this game, and it paid off. He had like over 30 PPR points. Damian Harris was out for this game. James White was out, so that obviously helped as well. But Cam Newton just didn't do much in this game. It was kind of his first dud of the year for fantasy. 
And Julian Edelman also has his first real dud. Six targets, two catches, 23 yards. Edelman was very quiet on a day where Cam was only asked to throw 28 times and only threw for 162 passing yards. Rex Burkhead was the game plan today, and the Patriots just easily handled the Raiders, so the usage was not needed. Same for Nikhil Harry, only two catches, 34 yards on four targets. New England, again, controlled this game throughout. Moving on to the Vegas Raiders, who, again, I mentioned how they're in a tough spot here. Uh, Derek Carr had a very typical Derek Carr day, 261 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, as in usual Carr fashion. He did have two fumble losses, though, on sacks. This was a tough spot for Carr. Um, I mentioned that Henry Ruggs was out as well. One of Carr's lost fumbles returned for a touchdown. He didn't challenge much downfield without uh, Henry Ruggs. And slot man Hunter Renfro was his preferred target with team high. Nine targets there for Hunter Renfro, including a garbage touchdown late. Henry Ruggs, again, was out. That made Brian Edwards the de facto number one receiver. He did have a really sick 34-yard catch and run over the middle. But he appeared to kind of get a little nicked up or injured. Uh, as he was dragged down awkwardly at the end of that. But Edwards ran behind Zay Jones, Hunter Renfro, and Nelson Aguilar in this game, so he cannot be trusted for fantasy football purposes. Darren Waller, only four targets after seeing 16 last week, two catches after 12 catches last week, nine yards after 103 yards last week, and no touchdowns, obviously. I mentioned that Bill Belichick was going to give the Belichick treatment and sell out to stop Darren Waller after last week. That's exactly what happened. He was just really tough to bench in this game because Waller's just so good. Um, But Bill Belichick without Henry Ruggs being there, was really just able to devote resources to shutting Waller down. He wasn't even targeted in the first half of this game. He didn't catch his passes until the game was essentially over. So a nightmare day for Darren Waller, though though it was a little bit predictable. If you listen to my preview pod, week three for Josh Jacobs was also, I wouldn't call it a nightmare, but it's actually pretty much exactly how I expected. I predicted he was going to have 80 to 100 scoreless yards just like last week, and he had 83 scoreless yards. He had three catches, which is good, which mitigated or canceled out his lost fumble that he had. But this was a tough spot for Jacobs. He was missing two offensive line starters as well. The Raiders trailed in the entire second half. Uh, and they had to throw more, limiting Jacobs' volume. He still handled 16 of 23 or 16 of 20 backfield carries. And he actually tied the team lead in targets on a slow offensive day, but he did lose that fumble in the second quarter. Jacobs will get better with better matchups. Moving on to the last game, and this is the Browns running all over the Washington football team, 34-20. to And the Browns are now surprisingly 2-1. and And I'll talk about, I usually go with the winners first, but I'll talk about the Washington football team here because I already have them up first in my notes. Dwayne Haskins, not that great. 224 passing yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions uh, against Cleveland. And Haskins, he did hang tough in the pocket, but he also forced some balls into coverage, resulting in three interceptions. And Washington, you know, they might have made it close in the fourth quarter if not for the turnovers on Washington's side of the field. And Terry McLaurin, eight targets, four catches, 83 scoreless yards. He led Washington football team in targets, and he regularly beat defenders with the ball in his hands. And Haskins barely missed McLaurin in the end zone in the second half. But overall, just a decent day from Scary Terry. Not worthy of his great soundbite. Logan Thomas, seven targets, three catches, 31 yards. I really like Thomas as a sleeper in this game. But again, he just couldn't get anything going. The targets are there. The usage is there. He's playing a good amount of snaps. He's running a lot of routes, So, but they just cannot connect. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, just low-quality targets, I guess, with Logan Thomas, and he's done only 37 
26 and 31 receiving yards in his first three games despite eight, nine, and seven targets respectively for the year. So he's more of a tight end two at this point. For the running game, Antonio Gibson, nine rushes, 49 rushing yards, one touchdown, three three catches, 11 yards. He was Washington's best back, but he wasn't used the most. J.D. McKissick still used heavily on passing downs here, and Washington just wasn't in position to run it in the second half. Uh, Gibson's touchdown was in the first half. He led the team in attempts and got the goal line carries, but he also fumbled in the cl- uh, in the closing second of the first half. You know, I, Gibson is just a, a hold at this point. Well, he's not just a hold. You can start him. He's more of a flex option at this point. But I think Gibson's best days are ahead of him, not necessarily right now. And last team of the day, the Cleveland Browns. I used to refer to them as the Cleveland Frowns, but right now they are the Cleveland Smiles, I should say, because they are 2-1. and one. And Baker Mayfield, 156 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. This is exactly what the Browns want out of Baker Mayfield. Not a lot of volume and a decidedly run-heavy game plan, but no mistakes. And the Browns just hammered Washington on the ground once they secured a two-score lead and just never looked back. Mayfield only completed 16 of 23 passes, and that's why Odell Beckham, slow game for him, six targets, four catches, 59 yards. He was efficient, but again, this heavy ground game, once they build a comfortable lead, there's no uh, volume for the pass catchers. Mayfield targeted uh, OBJ deep once, but he fell short, forcing OBJ to actually come back and break up the almost interception. Jarvis Landry, also same thing. Very efficient. Four targets, four catches, 36 yards. Doesn't do much in the fantasy box score, though, because there's just not enough usage. Landry was uh, served as mainly a third down safety blanket, but nothing more. And the Browns receivers just weren't part of the game plan in the second half because they just didn't need them. Nick Chubb, however, was the game plan for the vast majority of this game. He had another huge game, second week in the row. 19 carries, 108 yards, two touchdowns, only one catch for two yards. The Browns just chipped away at the Washington front seven. They lo- Washington front seven lost Chase Young in the first half. Chubb, he just shed plenty of arm tackles throughout the second half like he does. He burst a couple of big runs, including 25-yard touchdown. And Cleveland has made it no secret of his desire to run at any and all costs. And the game script was on their side here. And Chubb and Kareem Hunt got ample opportunity. Kareem Hunt, 16 carries in this game, a season high for him. Uh... 46 rushing yards, two catches, 18 receiving yards, and a receiving score. So Kareem Hunt now has three touchdowns in three games, and it was, once again, the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt show. They gashed Washington's front uh, defense together. It was a combined 35 carries, and Hunt had a sensational one-handed catch as he was falling down. Hunt was mainly used as a pass catcher, uh, over Nick Chubb, but he got some carries late as well, similar to last week. Hunt and Chubb, I mean, they're looking like every week starters. Obviously, Chubb is, but Hunt is looking like that as well. I keep doubting him. I keep saying he's a flex, but then he just keeps on producing. But that does cover everything so far. So good luck if you have fancy implications in tonight's game between the Chiefs and Ravens. Can't wait for that one. I'll be back tomorrow to break that game down and go over waiver wire ads and draws for the week. I should be able to also have one or two guests on the show this week. So that'll be fun. So stay tuned for that. And again, if you really enjoyed today's show, uh, do me a solid, hit the subscribe button, give me a positive rating or review. I really appreciate that. Ask me your fantasy questions on fantasylawguy.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.